For those that are staying, I'd like you to keep your eyes on the screen. We are in our closing week of God Never Said That sermon series. And so uh, here's a video to kind of wrap up what we've been discussing this, this, these weeks. I'm just really searching right now. I mean, my favorite professor doesn't even believe in God. And my roommate is part of this totally different religion that's it's actually pretty interesting to me. And then there's my boyfriend who just kind of picks and chooses from different religions. You know, I, I always thought I knew what I believed about God. Now I'm just not sure. Well, the good news is it doesn't really matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere. I shouldn't even have to tell you this, but God never said that. I do believe that sincerely look like it hurt. You got one on your hair. It's hilarious. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. And that, quite honestly, it kind of sounds good, doesn't it? It just kind of feels good that our God is so big and so loving that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you are sincerely believing it, then chances are you will be okay. I call this good feeling theology or feel good theology. It just feels good. And we see all this all the time when somebody maybe is talking to a friend. Well, you're a good person and you're better than the most people. So you are a good person. Things should be okay. Or I see quite often because I have done so many funerals. Someone will pass away and a loved one will say, well... He wasn't much of a religious person, but he is in a better place now. He's a better place looking down on us now. Grandma is in a better place looking down on us now. I will be real honest with you. There is at least three or four times every day that I don't want Grandma looking down on me from heaven. And yet so many people believe this. They're looking down. They're looking for us. They're seeing us in a better place today. It doesn't matter what you believe in. All roads lead to God anyway, is what we've been taught. All religions are basically the same. Anyway, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. If you watch somebody on a daytime talk show, they can talk all day long about spirituality. When a higher power. And there's no controversy at all. When is there controversy? There is controversy when someone brings up the name of Jesus that we sang about this morning. You can talk about God all you want. You can talk about a higher power all you want. You can talk about spirituality and nobody wigs out. But the moment you talk about Jesus, that's when things get really, really interesting. And what's fascinating to me is this. Almost no one debates the existence of Jesus. In fact, even his detractors aren't going to try and tell you that he did not live. They're going to acknowledge all day long that Jesus was a very real person. What is also interesting to me is that people love his teaching. 
I don't know anybody who doesn't like his teacher. Help the poor. Teaching. Help the poor. Love others. Be generous. His teaching is phenomenal. Even if you hate Christianity. It's virtually impossible to hate the teaching of Jesus. So his detractors don't debate his existence. It's really hard to question the power and the beauty of his teaching. So why is it that everybody gets so upset? Here's the answer to that question. It basically falls in the exclusive claims of Jesus. It's the exclusive claims of Jesus that gets everybody rattled and bent out of shape. In fact, it's very direct in Scripture. In John 14, 6, which will be on the next slide, it says these words. Next slide, please. (laughs) Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to me except or comes to the Father except through me. The reality is is that Jesus' claim here is powerful and people don't like it. Why don't they like it? It's because of the offertory video I showed you earlier. People want to be all-exclusive. They love all-exclusive resorts where you can pay one price and you don't have to pay for your food every time you go to the table. People like religion that way too. Look, I don't care if you're this or you're that. They say, what I care about is the fact that your Jesus makes exclusive claims like what is on the screen right now. And Jesus didn't just make this exclusive claim and leave it to be. What He did was, in the actual Greek, since we didn't have highlighters back then and underliners and all that kind of stuff and pens and all that, in the Greek, when they wanted to emphasize something, they said it twice. And so in the Greek, in John 14, 6, Jesus doesn't just say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What He says is, I am the way, the way, the truth, the truth, the life, the life. Repeat it. Now, Jesus didn't have a stuttering problem. He had a reality. And what He was saying to them is, listen, you want to know how to get to the Father? The only way to the Father is through me. That's it. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And yet people try to get to the Father through um, different programs. Self-help books, they're all great and wonderful. But Jesus reminds us that unless you have Me, you cannot get to the Father. Now automatically when you go there with a friend who is not a believer, they start getting a little antsy. That's a claim. And that's a pretty strong claim. If we look at all the different world religions, there can be some truth. There can be some beauty in all of them, but they are not the same. And we have to acknowledge that. There may be truth and beauty in all of them, but they are not the same. 
to give you just a real brief overview, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put up on the screen different symbols for different religions. And here is the first one. Hinduism is the first symbol that you will see this morning. Hinduism, though, is very different. Or excuse me, it's not Hinduism. I'm skipping my notes here. Sorry, Mike. Wow, did I mess up. My apologies. We're going to have to really mess this this video up. Um, just go to Hinduism, Mike. I'm going to skip the first. Is it the first one I'm skipping? Go ahead. Just keep going until that one. Right there. That's Hinduism. Though this is very different, Hinduism has so an impersonal God that is approached through deities or statues or idols. Very, very different. Buddhism and Hinduism, they do not offer the forgiveness of sins or supernatural help. Only karma. And so that's why when you are, if you're one of my Facebook friends and you put something up about, um, I just found where Buddhism went. It went on the floor. Um, <laughs> um, so Buddhism, we skipped over Buddhism, but we'll just keep moving forward. Sorry about that. This fan is blowing my papers all over the place, but that's okay because I feel good. Um, so we are in the midst of this, of this Hinduism, though, and it's a very different than Buddhism. And Hinduism has an impersonal God that is approached through, through deities or, or idols. And, and, and if you're a Facebook friend of mine and, you see, and I see something up about your karma, or I hope karma gets that person... The reason I sometimes comment under those things is because that is not our religion. We don't believe in karma. They do. Hinduism very much believes in karma. Believes what you deserve, you'll get. We don't believe in that. And so sometimes I get very defensive when people put things up that aren't true of what a Christian should believe. And then next, the Muslim faith. If you take a Muslim, Muslims worship Allah, a personal God. There are no secondary gods and there is total ban on idols unlike any other religions. If you are Muslim with God and Allah, it depends on your religious devotion and your works. So you're standing with God and Allah according to the Muslim, depends on two things. Your religious devotion and your works. If you got devotion and you got works, you're good. We're going to talk about what Christianity believes in just a moment, but I have to cover these things because some of you may be running into some of these different religions. And then there's New Age. There's New Age. There's a lot of different symbols for New Age. I picked two of them. Um, I did a Google search for images, and there was like 30 for New Age, and I couldn't fit them all on the screen. So here's two. You may be familiar with one of them. New Age believes that there is no personal God. They're going to believe most often in a higher consciousness and wanting to be maybe one with the cosmos or one with the universe. That's what New Age people believe. They believe that they can be one with the universe, one with the cosmos, and that as long as they are one, and sometimes it gets really freaky in New Age stuff. And I'm not trying to down it. If somebody's here and they're, they're, they're experiencing this, I'm not trying to down it. But you can go so far as to believing that if God is in that tree that's out there by our parking lot, 
I'm going to worship that tree because that's my God. And I feel good when I'm around that tree. The bad thing is, is the trustees are looking to cut that tree down, so I'm going to lose a God because it's dead. I'm joking, but I'm not joking about the cutting down part. I don't really worship that tree. The reality is, is that friends, see how wild and crazy it can get? If it feels good, it's got to be my God. If it gives me happiness, it's got to be my God. That's why some new age people have no problem being out in the golf course on Sunday morning because that's my God. I can worship Him better than I can worship Him in here. I don't know. I find myself being more upset on the golf course than most places. It's not much of a God for me. I'll tell you that. But then we come to Christianity. Christianity, out of all the world religions, is the only one that has a personal God exposed to us through the love of God's Son, Jesus. It's the only one. In other words, all other world religions, I've got I to capitalize this, I've got to make sure you understand this, all other real world religions have no God that really touches down on their people. In other words, what happens in, in, in Mormonism and in Hinduism and all that, their God kind of starts the world and kind of gets it going, and then He kind of walks away like this. Go do it yourself. Feel good. Follow your own heart. Christianity says that God saw a problem. Adam and Eve come to earth. They find this issue. They eat of the fruit they shouldn't have eat of. They all of a sudden see each other naked. And there's sin in the world. And so instead of God saying, I'm going to start the world put Adam and Eve here and I'm going to be hands off, God develops this plan. It's called the New Covenant. All the way through the Old Testament, you'll see people dying, or animals dying for people's sins. All of a sudden in the New Testament, it stops. Why? Because one perfect Lamb, Jesus Christ, went to the cross and took all the forgiveness and all the sin, excuse me, of our people on His shoulders. So you see, there may be beauty in all world religions, but we're the only one that has a God that has a heart for His people. So we consider Jesus today. And I'd like to consider three aspects of Jesus this morning. And let's first start with this aspect. It's on your sermon outline in your bulletins. And you can follow along and fill in the blanks if you would like. I want to consider the ministry of Jesus. Consider the ministry of Jesus. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw Jesus eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked His disciples, why does He eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So in Mark chapter 2, this, these verses, verses 16 through 17, it summarizes why Jesus came. 
First of all, we see in verse 16 that when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, these were the religious leaders of the day, when they saw Jesus eating with these people that weren't so clean, what is He doing with them? Now, let me repeat that because sometimes I think we skip over it and we, and we miss the, the, the magnitude of this. The religious leaders of the day, the ministry council of the first church of Jesus, looks at Jesus and says, what is He doing with them? Religious leaders. People who know the law inside and out. And they make their own up as they go. And here they are, and they watch Jesus, and they watch Him sit down with these sinners and these tax collectors. And remember, the tax collectors of that day were not like tax collectors today. Tax collectors today are honest. I have one that is my sister, so I have to be very careful with all this. But uh, um, they're, they're, they're at least honest. They don't rip you off like they did back in that day. And that they do, they go to jail. Back in that day, it was public knowledge. They were ripping you off and nothing happened. And the more money you had, the more they ripped you off. Jesus is sitting there eating with them. The religious leaders, His ministry council. What in the world are you doing? Now you can say, you know, well, Pastor, we don't do that in 2016. <clears throat> Want to bet? I served in a church planning one time in East Berlin, Pennsylvania. And, and, and church planning is unlike any other thing that you can ever imagine. Because you have hardly anyone to start the church. And so I was the youth pastor, not being paid in any way, shape, or form, just the youth pastor... And I was a youth pastor at a bigger church and we were starting this other church. So I went out there to this, this location and I went into the, to the, to the, to the dumps of East Berlin PA. And you say, can East Berlin PA possibly have dumps? Yes, they can. And I knocked on doors and I asked kids, would you come to our youth group tonight? Seven o'clock. It's three o'clock in the afternoon now. Could you come to our youth group tonight? And we had 25 kids come to play volleyball in the pastor's yard of this church plant and and I was all excited and then and then and then there was this dear older lady who came up and tapped me on the shoulder and goes, Did you see that kid's hair? Did you see those earrings that he had in? Uh yeah. Am I under the wrong assumption? I thought we were here to reach kids for Jesus. Not pass a glancing glow, pass a glancing blow about their earrings and their hair color. And it continued, and it continued for four weeks of the church planning. Until finally I had had enough and I said, you know, you can beat a dead horse until all you want. It's not going to get up and ride again. Lady didn't like that response. The pastor talked to me afterwards about being gentle and graceful. But I was tired of hearing it. I don't stand real long when people start talking about those people. And sometimes 
it gets me in trouble. My previous church, there was a community fun fest-like event, summer family festival, and there was this one dear older lady who used to always say, what if those people from Easton come up to our church? And I used to have to bite my tongue and I used to say, praise the Lord. Are we here to reach sinners or are we here to point fingers? See, that's the reality. Thank God I have never heard here yet, and I hope to never hear, what if those people down there come to our community fun fest? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And see, Jesus is is dealing with this way back in the day, and there's so much that's going on, and... So when Jesus finally hears this, He said to them, and I love this with all my heart, He said, guys, doctors don't exist for the healthy. Now I've been very skipping going to the gym. Sometimes it shows, I know. But when I was going to the gym regularly and I was feeling good about myself, that's not the time that I'm going to pick up the phone and say, hey, Courtney, that's my doctor. Can I come see you? Well, yeah, what's wrong? Nothing. I feel great. I just want to come see you. And so Jesus is taking this very real point and He's saying, listen, I didn't come to reach the people who are already righteous. I came to reach those who have missed the mark. To those that religion rejected, Jesus loved and reached out to them. You'll remember when a woman was called in adultery and all of the religious people said, Stone her! Stone her! What does Jesus say? He says, no. You that has the first... You that has no sin... Cast the first stone. Number two, we consider the message or the resurrection of Jesus. We consider the resurrection of Jesus. Now look at this next Scripture passage. It's out of Acts it's in the book of Acts, Acts chapter um, uh, three, or chapter one, three, verse fifteen, and it says these words: "You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. We are witnesses of this." And so, what Paul is talking about here is is the reality that that what the Jews did and what the Gentiles did was they killed Jesus. You killed the one who was the giver of life. You took Him to the cross. But then on the third day, when He's been dead for three days, He gets out of that grave and He comes walking out and we celebrate that. We call it Easter. It's a powerful example. Why? 
Because all those world religions we talked about at the beginning of this message, none of them can go to an empty grave. None of them. They can go and see some of them where their Creator died. But you see, the resurrection is so powerful and so instrumental in in all that we do. But it's not just the resurrection. You see, in a couple of months, it's coming up faster than we believe. We're going to celebrate the the virgin birth. And and, and, and when you look at it in the Scriptures, you see that that the virgin birth is very important. Why? Because if Jesus is born to Mary and Joseph in their sin... That makes him a sinner. And if he is born out of Mary and Joseph's sin, he is no longer the perfect Lamb of God that has paid for our sins. And so like I say, every Christmas and every Easter, you can't have Christmas without Easter. And you can't have Easter without Christmas. Those are two very big theological points. If you doubt them, if you have any kind of doubt and you say, well, I just don't think he could have been born of a virgin or I don't think he could have been raised out of the grave. And some of the biggest issues with that, one of the biggest issues with that is people have come out and said, well, the disciples carried him out of the grave. Follow me here. You really think that you could get 12 guys to go in together, come up with a completely false story, sell it to a church that's twice that size, or 15 that size, and it would make history. And it would continue to be the best-selling book for for hundreds of years. Come on. book of Acts says this because it's challenging us. And it's saying it's not. It's not a story. The church believes it. In fact, it's our selling point. You want to go and celebrate with other people who have dead gods? Go ahead. As far as us, we have a living God. We have one who's working in your heart right now. And he's not in the cemetery anymore. He's paid the price. Last, consider the internal message of Jesus. In Romans 3.23, it says, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. You see, Faith Church, some of us get caught up in relationship versus religion. It's easy to do. Because one requires our everything, the other requires very little. Jump through a few hoops, and you're good to go. And you're good to go. 
And the reality is, is that when we say those things, we begin to start thinking like Kyle Eidelman, a pastor who brought this new book up that, that we will study someday. It's called, I'm not, I'm not a Fan. And here's the difference. Today, a lot of us guys and women, I don't mean to be sexist here this morning, but you might sit down at a television and you'll watch the NFL. Or maybe you won't. But you, you maybe watched college football yesterday. If you watch Penn State, I feel bad for you, okay? Because I did. And it was a waste of my afternoon. I actually turned it off after the first half. I was like, enough of this. So I did this. So a fan stands on the sideline, right? They don't get down on the field and put their equipment on and start hitting people. I mean, they shouldn't. Sometimes drunk guys try to run on the field. But that's besides the point, all right? They don't, they don't come off the sidelines. They, they kind of cheer from the, from the sidelines. Go hit them. Go get them. Knock them down. Do what you got to do to get the job done. Players. Players, they're on the field taking the bruises. They're getting knocked around. Players, they take it pretty serious. Some fans do too. A little too serious. I was there before. If Penn State lost, Sunday morning worship just lost something when Penn State lost. Then God reminded me, thank God my salvation isn't dependent on Penn State winning. And maybe some of you need to be reminded of the same thing. We put it on things that are not, not true. And so, the difference between a fan and an athlete is this. One stands on the sideline and says, great job, athlete, good job, way to score a touchdown. One takes the ball and runs with it. Or passes the ball and catches it. Kyle Eidemann's whole premise of his entire book, and I've read it several times, is this. We have a lot of people who are fans churches pastor great touchdown man great outreach pastor wonderful where were you great job commission you did a great job where were you And so Kyle Ottoman goes on and he says that we have all these fans that want to cheer people on, but what's happening is the teams are going down, down, down. And so what's really happening in the Church of America, according to Kyle Ottoman, and I think he's got something going on there, is, is that there are less people playing on the field and there are more people in the stands. Do you realize what would happen to the NFL if that happens? It would close its doors and it would be done. Catch it? It would kill its business if there were less people in the field. It wouldn't have enough to carry a team. And so Kyle Adamman kind of brings this to life and he says, listen, we got to consider the internal message of Jesus and how powerful it is. And then he brings it around to what that offering, um, the offertory uh, video said this morning about religion versus relationship. And this is on the next slide, and it's a chart that's at the bottom of your sermon outline. And I want you to get this. Here's what religion says 
Religion says what I do. Alright? That's what religion says. Religion says what I do. Here's what relationship says. Relationship says what Jesus has done. You catch me? So religious people, religious people, and, and, and Matt Chandler was just right on fire. That's why I showed that video because we have this problem. It's a huge problem and I'll show you why I know it's a problem in just a moment. Because here's what the deal is. We all want to look at what did I do? What did I do? And I'm, I'm guilty of the same. How much did I get done? And here's what Jesus wants us to focus on. What He did. The fact that He died. The fact that He rose from the grave. The fact that He gives us life. But we focus on what did I do. Secondly, religion is about me. Or you. Relationship is about Jesus. See, if I focus on what I've done, I come out of some weeks, and I gotta be, I'll tell you now, I'm guilty of this just previously a couple of weeks ago. I come out of some weeks and I say, man, that was a loser of a week. Boy, that week stank. I didn't get much done. I didn't do much, so I must somehow have a less of a relationship with Jesus. And you see, Satan grinds that. Oh my gosh, Satan grinds that. He plays with those wires all the time. He loves it. Man, I must be a loser. But man, if you make it about Jesus, what if I took one person from feeling like they were a loser to a winner with Jesus? Some of you would say, Pastor, that's not worth your paycheck. Jesus would say, that's worth more. See, that's the difference. If I focus on what I got done, man, I can get real down on myself. But when you focus on Jesus and what He's doing, there's work going on even now. And I'm preaching and you, there's work going on. Number three, religion is about do. Relationship is about done. You want somebody to describe religion, it's about do. It's, oh, they want us to be a part of the Caring Commission, the Fellowship Commission, the Evangelism Commission, the Worship Commission, the Discipleship Commission. Oh, it's just do, do, do. Relationship's about done. And because it's done, you do. See that? It's done. The work is done. Now see, some people take that to the nth degree and then what they say is this. Okay, pastor, if the work is done, then, then all we have to do is trust in Jesus. That's where it gets a little hairy. You see, I can trust in Jesus that He's going to put together a community fun fest for us to have on October 21st here at Faith Church. But I'm pretty sure He's not going to drop a bounce house in the parking lot for us. I, he could if he wanted to, but I'm pretty sure he's not going to. So I still have to pick up the phone. I still have to make phone calls. Others have to do other work. We still have to do, but why do we do? Because he already did. We don't do to please. 
Please understand that. We don't do because the pastor asked us to do. We do because he already did. See, if you do because the pastor asks you to do, you're going to be coming to me in four weeks and saying, this ain't working out, pastor. I'm tired. I, I quit. But if you do because he did, that isn't going to happen. See, the, the difference here, we're getting there. We're getting there, believe me. And then the last part is this. Um, wow, I can't read my own writing. If I obey, God will love me. And because God loves me, I can obey. So, religion says, if I obey, God will love me. Relationship says, because God loves me, I can obey. So then we go back to what Jesus said. And I put this up uh, a couple of days ago on my Facebook wall, and I got so many different responses. Here's what I put up on my Facebook wall was, Jesus doesn't say, like this, or, or send this to someone. What He says is, if you love Me, obey My commands. But why do we obey His commands? Why do we follow the Bible? Why is the Bible so important? Why do you get up and throw your arms everywhere every Sunday and get so stinking passionate about it? Why is it so important? Because He did. If you do it out of anything else, you're going to get frustrated. You're going to get frustrated. And here's the last slide. Here's the the bottom line of the entire sermon. I told you I'm going to get to the point of how I know that it's come to the point where people are doing because they think it's going to get them a better place or because they think that's what the pastor wants them to do. I'm going to give it to you right now. And you're not going to like it, some of you. Not my issue. It's the Bible. Here's what it says. Not we have to, we get to. Here's what we have to brings up. It's the next word on the screen here. Obligation. If you are here this morning and you're saying, look, I want to be involved in the church because I know pastor preaches on it all the time and there needs to be more people involved. You're doing it out of obligation there's an issue with that because we do it because he did we do it for him and if we're doing it for him then it really doesn't matter what other people are saying to us do you catch that See, sometimes when we're doing it out of obligation, if a brother or sister comes up to me and says, Pastor, you really could have done that differently. And I really feel called that I should have done it the way I did it. I get upset with them because I'm like, no, I shouldn't have done it differently. But if I'm doing it out of obligation, I can get down on myself. Here's what we should be doing it out of response. You want to know why you should serve? You shouldn't serve because I stand up here, because the trustee stands up here, because anybody else stands up here and says, get involved and serve. You serve because you have a response to Him who died for you. 
who when the chips were down, could have said, I know that person isn't going to follow me perfectly the rest of their lives. Could have climbed down off that cross. And don't you think for one minute he couldn't have. Could have said, you know what? This world isn't going to do what I want them to do anyway. So I'm done. Could have said, I quit. I'm only doing it out of obligation to the Father. Could have said a number of those things. But instead, he stayed there. And he did. So you will do. He didn't do. So you feel obligated to do. Look, you walk out of here and say, Pastor, you know, you made that urgent announcement at the beginning of this sermon about caring commission needing drivers. You know, I just feel obligated. I got to do it because you're making these announcements. Wrong reason. Wrong reason. Do not do it for me. Do not do it for me. Because I'll tell you what, the first time it'll go horribly wrong and then I'll get a phone call and I'll hear about all the things that went wrong because of that. Do it out of response for Him. You want to clean up the church? You want to cut trees down? You want to do whatever for the church? Don't do it out of obligation for the trustees or the property team. And they can talk to me afterwards if they disagree with this. Do it out of response for Him. Because He died for this church. He died for you. And He said, look, I don't want obligational, I don't want an obligation service. I want response service out of praise for Him. And then when you're tired and you feel like you can't give anymore, you know what happens to me? I come. And I get involved somewhere. I had a meeting with our youth leader this week. What did I say to her? I'll tell you what I said to her. I said, look, I've been feeling like I've been pulling out of youth ministry more and more. I don't want to feel that way. I, yes, I'm tired. But the kids mean it to me. The kids mean it to me because they were died for. I'm not going to serve in youth ministry because it's, a, it's an obligation. I'm going to serve in youth ministry because it's a response for the fact that Jesus died for them. And that's what I'm asking for Faith Church. We hear all the time, it doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you're a good person, as long as you serve the church. No, that's religion. I didn't sign up for religion. I signed up for relationship. I signed up for relationship. And relationship says, it's in response to the fact that He loves me. That's why I get up on Monday morning. As hard as it is. That's why I wake up on Wednesday morning and come into the office and do my thing. Not because it's obligation. You can give me the biggest job description in the world. No, it's because I love the fact that He did so I can do. Do you know who your boss is here? He's the CEO of the CEOs. Do you realize that? You're not working for me. He's the CEOs of the world. Every king someday will bow to him, even those who think they're beyond him. Someday he will come back with a white horse and he will rescue us all. 
And we got people standing up on platforms that say, you know, basically they are God. They are not God. And someday God will shut them down. I can't wait for that day. That's who we serve at Faith Church. Not me. Not the ministry council. Not the pastoral relations team. We serve Jesus. And why do we serve Jesus? Because He did, we do. Because He did, we do. So think about that. When you go home and you start paging through this thing called a bulletin, say, you know, I, you know I've been having this attitude about Wednesday night Bible study, and, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Please, don't, don't take it this way. I've been having this attitude about, is it because I feel like it's an obligation God, help me to see it as a response. God, I see this other thing that we're doing here and and I really don't know if I want to do it because I see it as obligation. So ask Him to change it to a response. And watch what He'll do. All of a sudden, the aches and pains that we feel at that moment when we don't want to go to something will be lifted. Because it's for a guy who died on a cross. If you were the only one on earth. It's not for Faith Church. It's for Him. So serve that way. Don't lose strength serving for anyone else. I need you to know one other thing in closing. Jesus loves you. I need you to know that. I know I go through weeks and I wonder sometimes. Wonder. Man, Jesus, if you love me, He loves you. He wants you to serve Him. But He doesn't want you to serve Him like the Pharisees served Him. He wants you to serve Him out of response for the fact that He did so you can do. The King of Kings wants you to be in His court. The wonderful Savior wants you to be one of His children. Man, if I could have a boss like Him, wow! Now wait a second. I do. Praise the Lord. Jesus loves you. And He wants you to come and serve Him. But He wants you to serve Him out of response, not out of obligation. Think about that when you go home today. Think over our calendar. Think over all the things that we're doing in the next few weeks. Think over the Community Fun Fest. Think over in light tonight. Maybe some of these things you've been just a little scared to get involved with because you feel like it's obligation. Ask Him, God, you know, I know You sent Your Son. And all I want to do is serve in response of that. And watch how He changes your thinking. Watch what He does in your life. Let's bow for a word of prayer together. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, in a world that teaches us, there is thousands of ways to come to You. We are reminded that You indeed are the way, the truth, and the life. Beyond that, Lord, we are also reminded 
that here at Faith Church, we really want to become a place where we serve out of response for what you did. Not to get extra brownie points on your brownie points charts in heaven. Not to feel like we're somehow more special because we served. But to understand that you gave the ultimate price for each of us here. You died being spit upon and beaten. And the book of Isaiah reminds us that you were unrecognizable. And out of that deep desire and for that love that you had for us, you're asking us to respond to you. Help us, Lord, to serve you out of response for what you have done for us. And Lord, when Satan wants to dig us in and wants to make it about obligation, I got to go and teach another Christian ed class, I got to go and do another meeting. I got to go and serve in this capacity because I got to, I got to, I got to. May we look at him and say, Jesus died for me. And you need Satan to take a hike. You need to get out of my head. And you need to realize that I've been paid for by the blood of Jesus. And because of that blood, I respond in service to you. May we do that here at Faith Church. May we be earnest in doing that. And may we share the love of Christ with those we come in contact with. For Lord, it's in Your name we pray this all. Amen. Verse 2. Standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living Word of God I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. May we go from here standing on the promises of God our Savior. Amen.